The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Well, it's Easter Sunday, and I'm going to be honest with you, it was a little bit weird this morning to not come to church. It was kind of weird to not be able to come and gather in the building and, and have a normal service, uh, but at the same time, I'm incredibly thankful to be able to do this right now with you this evening in this beautiful weather, to be able to gather and be able to look at your faces and be able to proclaim the name of God. Amen? So this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 19. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn there. John chapter 20, verse 19. And as you're turning there, there's certain events throughout history that we can look back on and see that they literally changed everything. Certain events that... that once those events took place, the world looked radically different after those events. Some of the ones that came to mind, like when Gutenberg invented the printing press, radically changed the world as we knew it. When Al Gore invented the internet, <laughs> radically changed the world as we knew it. 9-11, travel will never be the same. Right? So there's events in history that we can look back on that radically change everything. But then in our own lives, there's events that we can look back on and realize that they change the very essence of who we are as a person. I can remember back in 2008, we were preparing to have a little boy. And it was Carter. He's our firstborn. And I remember like preparing for that in my mind, like we had been waiting and trying to have, have a, a, a child and waiting for that, anticipating that, expecting it. But once it happened, it radically changed who I was as a person. Just completely different. I remember all of a sudden, I was okay with socks with sandals. All of a sudden, I had this weird obsession with making my lawn green. All of a sudden, I was okay with white balance, white New Balance shoes. And then I realized minivans aren't so bad. Changed who I was as a person. It, it, seriousness, in all serious, seriousness, though, it, did, it changed my desires. It changed what I wanted. No longer did I want what was best for me. I wanted what was best for this little boy. It changed my priorities. It changed how I spent my time. It changed how I spent my money. And it changed my worldview. I was looking through the world now through this lens of fatherhood and had this desire to protect this little baby at all costs. Fatherhood changed who I was as a person. And today we're here to celebrate Easter, to celebrate the resurrection. And the resurrection was a world-altering event. It's changed the world more than any other event in history. Arguably, more good has been done in the name of Christ than any organization in history. Think about hospitals started in the name of Christ. 
feeding centers, the fight against poverty, all these things that the church is leading the way on, and it's all because of the resurrection. The resurrection changed the world as we knew it. The world was forever changed, and that change started in the hearts of just a few people, the disciples. After Jesus' death, before his resurrection, you can see the disciples were not who we see in the book of Acts. They were lacking faith. Remember, Peter denies Jesus three times. And I don't think that was just about fear. I think it was about a lack of faith, questioning whether Jesus was even who he said he was because he wasn't expecting him to go the way that he did. Lack, they lacked understanding and direction. In John 21, it says that they just went back fishing because they didn't know what else to do. They had no direction. They lacked unity. In John 16, Jesus predicted that they were going to scatter in different ways because they lacked unity. And they lacked power. In John 20, where we're reading, we find that they're locked up in a room, afraid. These guys were not at all who we know them to be in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see men who are bold. We see men who are focused on the mission. We see men who are united and working in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what changed was the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. The cross was where sin was atoned for, but the resurrection is where Jesus took the keys to life and death and made a way for us to be risen with Christ. Without the resurrection, there is no faith. Without the resurrection, there is no church. There's no point to be here tonight. Without the resurrection, there is no reconciliation and there is no hope. Without the resurrection, Jesus is no different than any other religious leader in history. It's the resurrection that authenticates Christ's claims. It's the resurrection that brings power to his promises. It's the resurrection that solidifies our place in his family. And we are blessed to be able to gather this Easter Sunday, 2020, to be able to celebrate the fact that he indeed rose again. He's not still in the grave, but the resurrection is a historical event that took place thousands of years ago. Paul talks about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. That's not something that we have to worry about this evening because we know and we believe that Christ did rise again. And we're here to celebrate that because the resurrection changed everything and continues to change everything for those who believe. So in our text this, morning, or this evening, the resurrection has just taken place. Christ is just rose from the grave. Mary went to check on Jesus on the grave, on his body. 
realizes he's gone, goes and gets Peter and John. They come and see and realize that he's rose again. And so we're picking up in verse 19 where Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room. So John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, When it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So this evening, we're just going to take a moment to look at three things that the resurrection has changed for us. Three things that if you're a believer this evening in this parking lot, the resurrection has changed for you. Number one, the resurrection has given us a new peace. The resurrection has given us a new peace. Peace is something that we may take for granted when we're living in a time of peace. But peace is something that people anticipate when they're living in a time of war. If you look back at the end of World War II, crowds had gathered across the country on August 14, 1945, waiting for the word that Japan had unconditionally surrendered to end the war. And at 7 p.m., President Truman gathers his advisors and reporters in the White House, and he reads a statement declaring the end of hostilities. And then for two days, Americans celebrated in the streets. This is where we get that famous picture of the sailor kissing the nurse. Because people were longing for peace. They were longing for peace. Peace is a wonderful thing. In our text, we see disciples who were locked away and afraid. Again, verse 19. They were gathered together, doors locked because the, the, they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and he says to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he shows them his hands and his side. Disciples rejoice when they see the Lord. And Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. He says it twice because he wants to prove a point. Peace be with you. What does he mean by peace? The word peace can be translated as a state of national tranquility, an exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Colossians tells us, in chapter 1, verse 21, says, This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Without the resurrection, there is no peace. Without the resurrection, you and I are still at war and alienated from God. In the Old Testament, they had this sacrificial system they constantly had to bring different sacrifices to atone for their sins, to appease God. And I preached about this several weeks ago, but the, the sacrifice was a constant reminder of the insufficiency of the sacrifice. They constantly were reminded that they're at war with God and they're bringing these sacrifices to appease God in the moment, but at the end of the day, there's no peace in that. There's no peace when you're constantly having to bring a sacrifice to God, knowing that that sacrifice is ultimately insufficient for the sins that you'll commit the next day. They're endlessly reminded of their spiritual condition. There was an eternal conflict between God and man. 
because of sin. But God wasn't content with an eternal war with his creation that he loved. He wasn't okay with that. So he sent Jesus to suffer on the cross. God literally stepped across enemy lines to bring peace to us. Matthew 27, 51 says this, Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. So there's this veil between the Holy of Holies and the other parts of the temple. And no one could cross that veil except for the high priest who would go and atone for the sins of the nation. That veil was this picture of this separation from God. This eternal separation from God. But when Jesus died on that cross, that veil was torn in two, signifying the fact that now we can have peace with God. We can have peace with God. The resurrection brought peace between man and God. It brought reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of, reconcile, of reconciliation to us. Being reconciled or at peace with God brings a peace in life that is unexplainable. All other conflict and struggle pales in comparison to living in peace with God. Why? Because peace with God means we can have communion with God. Peace with God means that we can walk and talk with God. We can study his word and he speaks to us. We can spend time in prayer and meditation and he speaks to us and that is an unbelievable gift that we may take for granted, but it's an unbelievable gift that we can commune with the God that created this beautiful world that we live in. We get to spend time with God. Many of you know John Decker, his parents uh, go here, Miss Nan, Mr. Bill, real faithful here, and, and John's a pastor in Ohio, and he's been posting some really cool videos during this time. And I've been enjoying watching some of the different pastors and, and people that I know post different things. And he, he posted this story that really resonated with me. He talked about the fact that he used to go hunting with his dad when he was a kid. And we would hunt with his dad. They'd get up real early in the morning and go out to the, the deer stand. And they would walk. You'd have to park the four-wheeler and walk in. And he talked about how afraid he was of the darkness, but how much comfort being in the presence of his father brought him. That being with his father brought peace, even though he was in the midst of darkness and uncertainty. I don't know if you've ever walked through the woods at night, but that's like the most scary thing in the world, right? It's terrifying walking through the, through the woods at night, but when you walk with your father as a young boy, that brings peace. We don't have to fear the circumstances in life because we are at peace with God, and that peace means we can commune with Him. We can walk with God, and He walks with us. And that brings peace so that we can endure the trials of life. In the midst of 
something like we're going through today with this virus and all the darkness and uncertainty that goes along with that, we don't have to fear because we get to walk with the God that created the universe. Our Father is there to bring peace in times of uncertainty. So if everything else in life crumbles, we're still joyful because we're at peace with God. So the resurrection is what gave us peace with God. It also gives us a new purpose. We have a new peace, but we also have a new purpose. He says in verse 21, the second part of verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So the resurrection has changed our purpose. I have a friend on Facebook who, uh, they had this old baby bed that their kids had grown up and had been sitting in the attic and kind of just got like just old and kind of degraded. The, the, all the stain had started to kind of get broken up on the, on the wood on the bed. But the bed meant something to them. The, the, the bed was, was important to them because of, of what it was for them. All their kids had grown up and, and slept in the baby bed. And so they didn't just want to throw it out. So what they did is they spent time and effort and energy reworking that bed, sanding it down, restaining it, and they built this awesome bench for their, their entryway where the back of the bench was the headboard of that, that baby bed. And so they took this old, rotten, basically, baby bed, reworked it, and gave it a new purpose. A new purpose that gave it life. This is exactly what the resurrection has done for us. We were broken with a meaningless purpose, right? Apart from Christ, apart from the resurrection, our purpose in life is living for ourselves, and that is a meaningless purpose. Christ, through the power of the resurrection, not only reconciled us to himself, but gave us a renewed purpose. What is that purpose? He says, as the Father has sent me, what did the Father send Jesus to do? Well, John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is exactly what our purpose is as believers this morning. Because the resurrection, our purpose is not to live for ourselves. Our purpose is to live and love others. Live for and love others. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. This is what Christ came to do, is to seek and save the lost. The word seek is an action word. Right? There's urgency behind the word seek. You're looking for something that's lost. You seek and save the lost. A few years ago, uh, we were living in Lumberton. And our house in Lumberton, if you know Lumberton at all, Lumberton is basically two highways. When you come into Lumberton, you go to the left, and you ha- take Highway 69 up towards Woodville, or you take Highway 96 up to uh, like Jasper. And uh, we lived on the 96 side like literally one house away from the highway. And so one night we're sitting at home and uh, we're getting ready for bed and, uh, and the kids are, are goofing around and, and Jackson mouths off about something and, and he's like way too young at this point in his life to be mouthing off, but he mouthed off about something and Becca told him, look, if you don't like the rules, you don't have to live here. So I, it, was, it was about going to bed. We told him to go to bed. It was nighttime. And so they go to their room and we're sitting there, normal night. And a little bit later, Carter comes and says, hey, Jackson ran away. 
We're like, what? This is like 10 o'clock at night. Jackson ran away. And I'm like, no, he didn't. He's just goofing around. He's hiding in the house somewhere. And Carter's like, no, I'm serious. I watched him go outside. He ran away. And so we get up, go start trying to figure out where he's at. He's not in the house anywhere. He's not in our yard. In Lumberton, we had uh, two lots, so we had a big yard. So I'm walking around. I'm checking the, the playground. He's not there. And at that point, panic has set in. I don't know if you've ever lost a kid before. That's terrifying, okay? At this point, panic starts to set in because I realize the highway's right there. And so I'm barefoot in like sleep shorts and a t-shirt and I'm running around. It's freezing cold outside. It's wet. I'm running around. I'm running up and down the street, calling his name, trying to figure out where he's at. I get in the car because I realize it's been long enough now for him to get a pretty good distance away. So I jump in the car, and, and I drive out towards the highway, and I'm thinking, when you drove out of our street towards the highway, to the left is Beaumont, and it's complete darkness because we were right after the split. To the right is all of the city, the wonderful city lights of Lumberton, as much as that is a city. But everything is to the right. So I'm thinking he went to the right. So I turn right, and I go down a little ways, nowhere. I come back across the street from us, across this busy highway. There's a school, so I drive over to the school to see if he's there. At this point, I'm like really freaking out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm starting to like really panic, and I am with everything in me. Like nothing else matters at this point, right? Nothing in life matters at this point except for finding my child because I'm terrified that I've lost my child. And so... I call the cops because I didn't know what else to do at that point. I call 911. I'm like, we've lost our kid. We don't know where he's at. And the lady on the other line says, well, hold on just a second. Something's coming in now. And at that point, a nice couple had found Jackson walking towards the Beaumont side to the dark abyss and stopped because it's not normal to see a kid that small at night walking down the highway. So they stopped, called 911, and it was coming across the radio. So in that moment, just sheer relief, barefoot, wet, cold, I take off running like half a mile down 96 to where he was and grab him up and you literally carry him back all the way home barefoot on the side of the highway. Why would I do that? Because there was urgency, right? When, when, when my kid is lost, there's a sense of urgency because I'm literally fearful for his life at this point. I'm literally starting to get afraid that I may never see him again and that, that something seriously wrong may happen to him. And so the urgency is intense in, the, in that moment. My heart's pounding. I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. I don't care the fact that I'm running around in basketball shorts and my sleep shirt and no shoes in the freezing cold rain. I don't care because all I'm focused on is finding my son. That is what it should look like for us seeking and saving the lost. That is the kind of urgency that we should have when seeking. That's what it looks like to seek. The resurrection has given you a purpose. Some of us have gone back to the empty purpose of serving ourselves. Our money is for ourselves. Our free time is for ourselves. 
our family is for ourselves. Everything we do is about our own enjoyment and comfort. That is not the life that Christ rose for. None of it is ours anyway. Everything you have is from God. Living for yourself is empty. It's a purpose that has, that's no different than the lost world around us. Jesus rose to give us a new purpose. That's, that's the purpose behind the resurrection. To give us this purpose of building his kingdom. And that purpose is one of fulfillment. It's not meaningless. It has eternal rewards. So he gives us, the resurrection gives us a new purpose. And then finally, the resurrection gives us a new power. The resurrection gives us a new power. Verse 22 says, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, where have we seen that before? Breathing on someone. Why did he breathe on them? Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living thing. I remember as a kid, at one point, I had a bike that the chain had popped off. And I'm sure this is like a familiar story for everybody because it happens to every kid at some point in their life. The chain pops off the bike, and so you're sitting there trying to fix it. And I went in the garage, and I got Dad's tools, and I'm trying to get the wrench and loosen the, the little thing so I can get the chain back on there. And, man, I'm, I'm working on it as hard as I can. I, I'm pulling up as hard as I can to, to break that bolt, bolt loose, and for the life of me, I can't do it. I'm sweating. I'm working hard. I got grease all over me, and I can't figure it out. I can't, I'm not strong enough to do it in my own efforts. My dad walks outside and literally just goes, and it's done, like that fast. I couldn't do it in my own efforts, but he was able to do it just like that. The resurrection brought a new beginning. God created man as righteous and blameless, and we messed it up. We messed it up bad. When Adam and Eve sinned and ate that fruit, it brought the consequence of sin, death and destruction, separation from God. And we couldn't maintain righteousness in our own efforts. We weren't strong enough. We aren't strong enough. This time he sent himself in the form of his spirit to give us power to overcome temptation and fulfill our purpose of building his kingdom. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Listen, God has made us new. And that newness comes with a power that is unexplainable. With the power of his Holy Spirit inside of us, we can live lives no longer enslaved by sin. We can be free from the bondage of addiction. We can be free from the bondage of discontentment. We can be free from the bondage of idolatry. We no longer have to be enslaved to the sin that, that was dragging us down before, only because God gave us his spirit to live in power and strength. The very same spirit, the very same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in the heart of every believer here tonight. Through the power of his spirit, not only can we live righteous lives, but we can live fruitful lives. 
building his kingdom. We can have power to intentionally love others. We can have that power to seek and save the lost. We can have the power to proclaim the word of God. We can have the power to sow in the lives of others. These aren't things that are reserved for pastors and deacons. These are promises for all believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're a believer here tonight, you've put your faith and trust in Christ and surrendered your life to him. The Holy Spirit has come and lived in your heart and has given you power to overcome sin, but also has given you power to live fruitful lives, building his kingdom. That's the purpose that he's given you, but that's also what the power is for. That's why the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, not so that you can live an unfruitful life, not building his kingdom, but so that you can be a part of what God has come into this earth to do, which is to seek and save the lost. This is what Jesus rose for, to give you the power to live free from sin, to give you the power to proclaim the gospel to everyone that will listen, and to give you the power to disciple and train up new believers. This is what he's given you the power to do. Not just pastoral staff, not just church leaders, but everyone who has put their faith and trust in Christ. For many, we've limited the power of God's spirit to marginal church attendance and religious affiliation. God's power is so much bigger than that. God's power is so much bigger than a religious attendance to church services. God's power is about changing lives. God wants to do that through you. He rose from the grave to accomplish so much more than that. He rose from the grave so that you and every other person that gives their life to him can live a life free of sin and fruitful in disciple making. And if you're a believer this morning, you have been empowered by the resurrection. This is why we celebrate the resurrection. Not just so we can dress in pastels and hide Easter eggs. We celebrate the resurrection because God, in that moment, all of his promises became empowered. And now we can commune with God. We can live in a purpose that has meaning. And we can live lives of power over sin and lives that are empowered to be able to be fruitful and to see lives changed through our influence. God has given you the power to have influence over others to build his kingdom. Let's stop living sinful, unfruitful lives because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and me. There's no arguing that the resurrection has changed and continues to change the world. There is no arguing that. You can see it all over society. You can see it in the hearts of people who have truly surrendered their life to Christ. This morning, the question at hand is, has the resurrection changed everything for you? Has the resurrection changed everything in your life? Not just the life of the world, not just... Fellowship Baptist Church, 
But in your life, has the resurrection changed everything? Are you living in communion with God because you've been given peace with God? Are you living empowered by His Spirit so that you can live a life free from sin and live a life that's fruitful in building His kingdom? Are you living in that purpose? These promises are yours to claim if you simply, in faith, surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. So the question this evening is, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never put your faith and trust in Him, if you haven't surrendered your life to Him, Scripture says if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. When we call on Jesus in faith and surrender to Him as Lord, We'll be saved. And in that moment, we have a new peace. We have a new purpose. And we have a new power. Why? Because thousands of years ago, on that first Easter, Jesus overcame death and rose out of that grave. And it's not just a theoretical thing that we put our trust in as, as Christians. It's a, it's a historical event that really happened. It really happened, and it really changed everything as we know it, and it continues to change everything in the hearts of believers. If you, this evening, have never put your faith and trust in Christ, and you want to know more about that, there's nothing more in life than, than that we would want as a, as a staff and as leaders in this church than to be able to talk to you about what that means. So we'd encourage you to message us on Facebook. Come by and see us in the office. We're open Monday through Friday here at the office. Come and see us. Message us on Facebook. Give, a, give us a call in the office. Come see us after it's over with. We'll keep six feet dis distance. That's okay. I got about six foot long arms, so I'll keep you at a distance. And we can have a conversation about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. There's nothing more important than that decision right there. Maybe you know Jesus, but you've wandered from his purpose and stopped living in his power. The challenge this evening to you would be to ask God to change your heart. Evaluate, have you ever really surrendered your life to Jesus? If the answer to that question is yes, then start living in that peace again. Start living in communion with him by spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. Start living the purpose that he's given you. And live that purpose in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. God, we thank you for this. This historical event of resurrection and how it's changed not only the world that we live in but but our own hearts it's changed who we are as people it's given us a peace that passes all understanding and that in the midst of a world that is broken and afraid from a disease god we we as believers understand that even in the midst of darkness and uncertainty we have peace because we can commune with you 
that peace with you means communion with you, which means peace in every other circumstance in life. And God, we thank you for the fact that you've given us a new purpose. That you've given us direction. You've not only just you not only saved us and, and reconciled us back to you, but you've you've turned around and remade us, repurposed us for your glory. So God, I pray that we would live a life that seeks the lost, that we're intentional about looking for lost people and proclaiming your truth to them, that we would understand that that is what we were saved to do. God, I pray that we wouldn't try to do that in our own effort, but that we would realize that the power of your spirit lives inside of us and it allows us, even if we don't know everything, even if we feel like we don't have it all together, we can rest in the power of your spirit and know that when we proclaim the gospel, it never returns void because your power, the power of your Holy Spirit moves in the lives of other people. So God, we pray that you would empower us. God, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, if they, if they haven't put their faith and trust in you, God, I pray that they would do that this evening. They would come and talk to me or Julian or one of the other leaders here at the church, God. They would call, message us so we can have a conversation with, about what that looks like, God. I pray you would empower us as a church to proclaim the gospel to Nederland, Mid-County, and beyond, God. I pray that you would use us in a mighty way to build your kingdom. Help us not to live in an empty purpose of building our own kingdoms and, and living for our own comfort and enjoyment. But God, I pray that we would sacrifice all of that so that we can live a life of purpose of building your kingdom. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.